Support for today's show comes from MyBookie. Trust me, guys, they're your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. Not to mention they have in-game live betting and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code MLB when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code MLB when creating your account to claim the bonus. You play, you win, you get paid. This is a podcast of great social and political import. Welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman, and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. As always, we are part of The Ringer Podcast Network, which is itself a constituent part of TheRinger.com, where I can direct you to several uh, great written pieces this week. You can check out our NFL coverage headlined by Kevin Clark on Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Uh, if you love baseball, you will love Pedro Martinez. and You will probably love Brian Curtis's feature on Pedro Martinez, the broadcaster. And if you love the Ringer MLB show, you will probably also love Ben Lindbergh, who, to my immense professional jealousy, got to go deep on the Drone Racing League. So check out all of that, as well as some of our stuff uh, eulogizing the late rapper Mac Miller. Uh, Micah Peters wrote Mac Miller was unfinished and talked about him on the latest episode of On Shuffle and Rob Harvilla uh, wrote a Mac Miller 1992 to 2018 is title of the piece so I would encourage you to go check out all of that but back to baseball we've got a lot of a lot to talk about this week Uh, Zach Cram is out of the office today so we're going to start off with my dear friend Ringer senior editor Ryan O'Hanlon on the NL Central race all right so I'd like to welcome to the show a man who has strong opinions about the political implications of the run pass option. Uh, A man with expertise (laughs) in football of all kinds, as it turns out, he's here to, uh, he's the, uh, one of the hosts of of ringer FC and uh, my editor and a man who's going to tell us how Mesut Ozil is really what's wrong with the Chicago Cubs. It's Ryan O'Hamlin. Ryan, you forgot, uh, you forgot my most important title. What is senior editor? Your, your most beloved colleague. Is that true? <laughs> I mean, you decide. <laughs> so now, I, I hadn't really given it that much thought. I mean, you're definitely the colleague I spend the most time with. That's I true. I don't know if most beloved. Well, I, I'll, I'll get back to you. Okay. By the end um, of the segment, you'll have figured it out. So we're ostensibly uh, up in the in the region of where I almost don't believe that Pat Fitzgerald is actually talking about RPOs and communism, um, but uh, <laughs> in a region where he's purportedly doing that, uh, we had an interesting reversal in the NL Central race as the Cubs uh, spent a complicated and waterlogged weekend in Washington while the Milwaukee Brewers are currently on an 8-2 and two run in their last 10, a four-game winning streak, and have cut the lead in the National League Central to one. So I think this is as of right now, probably the most interesting pennant race in the National League. I always struggle with stuff like this. It's a one-game lead, but I'm looking at the odds, and the Cubs are still over a 70% favorite to win the division in baseball prospectus and fan graphs. So tell me this. Am I, is my brain too small for me to properly comprehend what those odds mean, or is there actually not as much of a race as it as the game's back? column would suggest i think right now i'm looking at bp right now too and it's they've got it 77 to 19 and i think that makes it 
feel a little bit farther apart than it is, particularly because, and this isn't like Ben and I are going to talk about the, the national league East race in a little bit. And the Phillies and Braves play each other seven more times between uh, now and the end of the season. And the Cubs and the, the Brewers, I believe are done after the season that, or after the series that they're uh, in the middle of right now. So it's not like the Brewers, I mean, the Brewers are red hot right now and the Cubs aren't. And it's not like the Brewers can parlay that into a bunch of head-to-head wins, which I think plays into Chicago's favor right now. Um, But we're at a part in the season where the projection systems are built to to be like the advantage to them is that they're less reactive than just the human gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Like you or I will, will see some, we'll just see the way they played over the past couple, couple games and think, Oh, it's only a one game, uh, a one game difference. That's pretty much even the brewers are hotter right now. So they should be a lot closer than, uh, than the standings have them. But the, uh, the projection systems have much longer memories, which I think is good in a macro perspective, but we're reaching a part in the season where, to say nothing of the game is just being played differently with the expanded rosters and mm-hmm. advantages like the the Brewers. There's a man driving past my window in a riding mower right now. Um, <laughs> is that your landscaper? Yeah, he's my <laughs> landscaper. Um, <laughs> definitely not the landscaper of the old folks home across the street. Uh, we're reaching, like, there's so few games left in the season that the Brewers' bullpen, and that's something I definitely want to talk about, becomes a huge advantage because you're you're going to rely on your best players a little bit more. You're going to shorten the bullpen a little bit where you can. And that's one way in which the game is just not played the same in the end of September as it was in the middle of May. That makes a lot of sense. So is it to do to do well at the end of the season? Is that sort of a more, it's more of a playoff-like atmosphere or playoff like situation, not because of like, you know, the conventional wisdom of there's, you know, all these games count. So it's like the playoffs, but because teams are going to start relying on their bullpens more, have the bigger rosters, et cetera. Yeah. And you can shorten your bench and with the figuratively shorten your bench, but literally it's the opposite because you're going to have a lot more uh, specialist players. So you can have, um, for instance, Terrence Gore, who's on the Cubs now, was on the Royals uh, forever. And mm-hmm played in pretty much every playoff game when they could carry a dedicated pinch runner. And he's played in the big leagues some like five or six years now and just got his first big league hit last week Um, because that's, but you can carry a guy like that. If you're, if you're playing for specific high leverage situations like the Royals did when he was there in 2014 and 15, or if you have a 40 man, a full 40 man roster up in the big leagues. So you can, you can use your, Sometimes, like if you have a particularly deep bullpen, you might use an arm in a non-competitive game that you might need in a in a more competitive game the next day, uh, just because that's the only rest of reliever you have. But now you can pretty much separate guys that you want to use in blowouts versus guys that you want to use in close games, and that's depending on where different teams are, are weak and strong. That can have a huge influence on the pennant race with the expanded rosters. So theoretically, something like this could help a team that doesn't have good starting pitchers like the Cubs, except the Cubs also don't have good relievers, right? Uh, the Cubs the Cubs have a few good relievers. I mean, really, I think the there are some very real issues with the Cubs starting rotation, but I think Cubs fans are a little spoiled right now and think that things are worse than they are. Um, and conceding that John Lester and Kyle Hendricks and Jose Quintana are not the pitchers that they were two or three years ago. But that rotation's a lot better than, say, the Phillies rotation. It's probably better than the the Brewers rotation. I'm looking at, like, 
Wade Miley's pitching well, but like he's still Wade <laughs> Miley. He, you know, he could still theoretically get a playoff spot or uh, a, a spot in the playoff rotation uh, for the for the Brewers if if things break a certain way. And you know, you're looking at Zach Davies coming or, or Junior Guerra, who's not pitched well over the past month. Like I, I'm not positive that the Brewers have a starting pitcher who would break into the playoff rotation for the Cubs, even with Tyler Chatwood unable to throw strikes, even with Darvish out for the season, and. You know, right now they're making it work, but it's I, I think to to call in this race to to call the Cubs rotational weakness is probably overstating the uncertainty of some of their starting pitchers. So are we I'm looking at this, Cole Hamels is second among all Cubs pitchers in war, and he's played eight games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are we, you know, you mentioned all of the sort of, you know, journeyman theoretically replacement level players their brewers are relying on cole hamels was one of those pitchers basically for what the past two years are we convinced that the new cole hamels is the same as the old cole hamels or like is this going to stop i don't i don't think he's the same as the old cole hamels um i am somewhat more encouraged by the fact that he has been Old, the old Cole Hamels in the fairly recent past, like he was an all-star in 2016, as opposed to Wade Miley, who hasn't been good since. I mean, I'll look it up. It might have literally. I mean, I've got a picture of a really sad looking Wade Miley that I used to in, in lieu of expressing that I feel depressed at certain times. I mean, I <laughs> Wade Miley was OK in 2015, but he pitched for the Red Sox, which means that everybody thought he sucked. Um, because Red Sox fans are impossible to satisfy. Uh, Beyond that, I think it might have been his rookie year in 2012. And apart from that, he's just pitched. He's just been sort of mediocre, but he's pitched a lot of innings. So, I I mean, in this day and age, Rich Hill can turn into Cy Young at the drop of a hat. So nothing is is out of the realm of of possibility. But I am more confident in Hamill's ability to keep up what he's doing. And maybe it's not a 1.4 ERA. Maybe, you know, the ERA is is a three and a half down the stretcher. If he gets into the playoffs and he turns into a five and dive kind of pitcher, but I'm more optimistic about his ability to keep this up than I am. You know, I don't want to pick on Wade Miley over and over, but he's just the name that I'm fixated on right now. I mean, you literally use his visage to portray your own depression. So I think there's not much more damning, uh, anything more damning than that. That's fair enough. So how, how big this might seem like a silly question. Potentially it is. So the Cubs and Brewers are playing a series right now. Two more games left. And then they don't play again the rest of the year. Like how much does the, how much does, you know, say the Brewers, so if the Brewers sweep, they'll be up a game mm-hmm. at the end of the series. Are the Cubs still the favorite if that happens? I think if they are, it would be, I think it would be close to 50-50 at that point. Mm-hmm. I think over, I think the Cubs are the better team. Um, and But with the way that, that the Brewers bullpen shaping up right now. And, you know, we haven't talked about Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich yet. And both of those guys uh, would probably end up on, on my hypothetical NL MVP ballot right now. Both of them are playing incredible right now. Um, this is, this is a Brewers team that to use a cliche, we'd probably both hate, um, but they are, they're peaking at the right time. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I put it at about a toss up. If the Brewers had a one game uh, lead for the, last two and a half weeks of the season. Um, 
but I think the big, even bigger than potentially chasing down the Cubs, they put some distance between themselves and and some of the the teams in the NL wild card race. And and some of that is the Diamondbacks have fallen off, the Phillies have fallen off. There's it's really down to them, the Cardinals, uh, and whichever of the uh, the Rockies or or Dodgers doesn't win the the NL West right now, unless something surprising happens in the next couple of weeks. So I think being sort of up above that fray is huge. And, you know, maybe that'll allow them to play with a little more confidence and, and security and, and maybe play well enough to, to chase down the Cubs. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, they're both of the teams on fan graphs at least are above 97% to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in, in baseball, you're not sort of, you don't save yourself for the playoffs, but I wonder if, you know, we talk or the, sort of ongoing conversation at least around the trade deadline every year is that like more teams think they're alive because there's uh the extra wild card spot now mm-hmm. um does that extra wild card spot like does it affect like how the brewers and cubs will approach the last month knowing that they have that cushion to fall back on if they don't win the division or is there just real no discernible difference in how you go about it i think maybe less in the national league because even Right now, it's still pretty tight. The, the gap from the mm-hmm. Brewers to the Dodgers, that's the Brewers are in first place for the wild card. The Dodgers are two games out of the last wild card spot. And that get, that gap's four and a half games, which when you're talking about just two teams, that's not, I mean, it's it's a big gap, but it's not insurmountable. So I think just from a standpoint of, of playing it safe, you want to keep your foot on the gas all the way to the end until you know you're going to make the playoffs. But in the American League, I think that's exactly what we're seeing is the second wild card spot is, I mean, the Yankees are three games up on Oakland and the gap from Oakland to Seattle and Tampa who are tied for the first, first team out is seven and a half games. So the Yankees, if there was one wild card spot, they would probably still be not a hundred percent certain of, of making the playoffs, but I mean, it's almost mathematically impossible for them to fall all the way out of the playoff picture right now. Um, and that's because of the second wild card spot and because Oakland is not only do they have the 10, 10 and a half game gap, but Oakland is another buffer team in the middle. That makes sense. So are are the Cubs theoretically the NL favorite? I was I mean, as recently as as a week or two ago, Zach and I were talking about this, about who's the the World Series favorite. And I said it would be the Cubs just because they've got the easiest road through the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're going to get to the World Series or they could get to the World Series without playing any of the three best teams in baseball. Yeah. Um, which is huge. And they had the best and they still do have the best playoff odds in the, the National League. Um, and, you know, even at this point, they're in near lock to to make it. I mean, if if they fall out now, I am very much looking forward to reading the uh Sahad of Sharma and um you know Jesse Rogers postmortems like the beer and chicken Red Sox. It would be it would be that level of collapse. Um once they get to the playoffs, I I still think if the Dodgers get in, they're just so talented and so deep and and Dave Rogers has been there and uh shown a a good feel for managing in the playoffs. And I, I think they, you know, it just in terms of intangibles, I think that the Dodgers, you know, Clayton Kershaw still has to prove to you that he can get it done in, in big moments. You know, I think they, they're going to have 
Um, not that you need extra motivation once you get to this point in the season, but you know, they've got a little bit something extra to play for. And you know, they've built this team to be to go 25 men deep mm-hmm. uh in the in the playoffs and to go 40 men deep down the stretch. So I think if the Dodgers get in, then I would probably pick them over the Cubs, but they're far from certain of getting in right now. It is kind of fascinating because you know, playoffs start today, the Dodgers don't make the playoffs, and non-fan graphs, they're the favorite. Uh, to make the World Series from the NL, <laughs> which I don't, just seems wild. It does again. Seem it goes wild. back to what you're saying, but it also right. like it, if I, they are they are in the playoffs, I would probably pick them to make the World Series. Right, and it's it's so weird. And I mean, part of that is sort of the blind spot of of those projection systems. Um, and you know, Zips and Picota work similarly. Uh, they're going to, I think, overrate teams that were predicted to be good uh, earlier in the season as opposed to being really reactive of stuff that happens right now. So maybe, you know, maybe they think the Dodgers or Zips or, or Picota thinks the Dodgers are better than they are uh, and thinks maybe the Braves or the Rockies are worse than they actually are. But I, there is a value to that, that, you know, baked in inability to overreact to, to small samples that, at this point, even like it's far from certain that the Dodgers get in. BP has them at, at an even seventy three percent to uh, to make the playoffs right now. Um, even baking that in, they might still be slight favorites over the Cubs. Although I think that's it's still a lot of uncertainty about reaching the playoffs in the first place. Do we need to talk about the Cardinals as a potential NL Central winner, or is it the whole you know they have to leapfrog two teams to get How there? How far? That's big. Three and a half games. But at the same time, three and a half games isn't that that big a gap. And I think they they host so they host the Cubs on the the last weekend of the season and last six games are against the Brewers and the Cubs. That helps. That's gonna I I think what what's gonna happen is and this is sort of what's gonna happen with the Phillies and the Braves, is the number of games the number of head to head games between the contending teams. Mm-hmm. It's going to make it feel like they're in the race longer than they are, and they might be in a spot where if they go six and zero, then they make it into in, make it into the playoffs, or if they go five and one, but then they'll go, you know, they'll go five hundred over those those six games. I think they're still close enough that at this point, I view you just need to, I mean, you need to put yourself in at least in that position, and a decent team has a, a shot of of sweeping any good team if if the uh, if the bounces go right. Um, I am less convinced of them as making up that gap than I am of them just getting in the wild card game. And then, you know, that brings up a whole lot of interesting strategic things about what they do with Carlos Martinez down the stretch, um, or in a, a one game playoff situation, you know, how real are some of the, some of the great seasons that some of these guys are having, you know, how good is Harrison Bader really? Zach and I talked about him. Um, but I think it's not completely a two team race, but I, need the Cardinals to narrow that gap a little bit more before I lump them in as as part of like a group coin flip. Yeah, they've also got a four-game series against the Dodgers at the end of this week and then three games against the Braves. So if they play well, they're going to play their, their way in. But yes, I, I almost wonder, you know, we talked a lot about strength of schedule down the stretches. Uh, would you rather try to beat up on weaker teams or, or would you rather have the opportunity to go head to head and take games off of your uh off your direct competitors 
I mean, I guess it depends who my direct competitors are playing. <laughs> you know, I'd much rather have an easier schedule than the teams I'm competing with and then also not play them, I guess. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's with this, it's like you win the series against the Dodgers, you don't have to worry about them as stealing a wild card spot from you, I guess. Then, you know, those last six games, you kind of, to use a phrase that I hate, control your own destiny in a way. I mean, I guess, I don't know. Well, is it better to have an easy schedule or just have the, like, very obvious, if we win all these certain games this amount of time, we're in the playoffs? So personally, as a non-athlete, I would rather play the Marlins a bunch than and have my direct competitor play the Red Sox a bunch or the Astros. Mm -hmm. Um and just sort of beat up on the weaker team and oh no you're in you're in but i you know i think this is one way in which the people who think like me don't turn into world class athletes and i think that there's an element of of what you know the the guy wanting the ball in his hands at the end of the at the end of the game um and all 600 people in major league baseball are wired like that to some extent so i think if you ask them they'd probably rather um maybe not all of them but I, I bet you all of them would tell you they'd rather go head to head with their direct competitors and probably 80% of them would actually believe it. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things of like, there's probably some psychology of like, you just need to treat every opponent equally. So it actually doesn't matter, matter to them. They can't kind of look at the schedule and be like, okay, that's probably going to be a win. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, but I mean, I guess from a, from a neutral standpoint, I much prefer having these sort of playoff adjacent matchups that are super meaningful rather than like the Cardinals playing the Marlins and then hoping that the Brewers beat the Cubs or something like that. It's it's obviously more fun to watch. I mean, I mean it's easier to follow one game at a time than two just from like the most reductive standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, but it, yeah, it's trading two less intense games for one really intense game. I mean, you, you think back to uh, game 162 in the last day of the 2011 season like it was it was a big deal that all you know I mean the Red Sox were playing the Orioles who were pretty much out of it I believe at that point but it, like the rest of those a lot of the rest of those games were between playoff teams um, the Phillies Braves game and uh, the Yankees and Braves going down on the wire the way they did and you know and I don't know if that plays out differently and MLB schedules these games I mean you see so many more divisional games there's hardly any interleague by uh by this point in the season it's scheduled to create these tense late season matchups and i think that's i mean it's obviously on purpose and i think they're right to do so yeah i mean even the the diamondbacks dodgers series from what was that last week or the weekend before that like legitimately felt like a playoff series i guess partially because the dodgers can never score more than like three runs so every game is just naturally tense. Um, mm -hmm. But it's also like, isn't this kind of a, at least having two division races is kind of a, a change from what we've seen over the past couple of years where it's like each division for the most part has its own super team. That's definitely what we thought we were going to get going into this season. And I've been very pleased to be wrong about pretty much all of them. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the American League is shaken out about the way you'd expect. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe the only difference is the surprise team sneaking into the the last uh, wild card spot being the A's instead of the, I guess the Angels or the Twins would have been uh, the preseason favorites for 
for that spot. But yeah. apart from that, it's played out. And I think I had the Yankees over the Red Sox at the beginning of the season, but I mean, it's shaken out about the way you would have predicted. But the National League has been whether the the preseason favorites. I mean, the Nationals. <laughs> it's weird because it's not that any of the the preseason favorites have really fallen on their faces. The Nationals, I think, have just been really unlucky, mm-hmm. and I wonder if some of that is is just first year managerial uh, jitters from Dave Martinez, but as opposed to Dusty Baker being an incredibly steady hand at the wheel. Uh, but you know, <laughs> some of that is just bad bounces, bad timing. Um, and the Cubs and Dodgers haven't been bad. They've just been accessible. You know, they, they haven't been overwhelming the way they were, the way the Dodgers were last year and the Cubs were the year before that. And I think it's, you know, it's made for, I don't know if I could handle both leagues being, this jumbled up, but it's it's been fun to have one league that a week out from the end of the season, there's still or oh, not a week. God, I don't even know what day it is. It's uh, two and a half <laughs> weeks out from the end of the season. We don't we don't know exactly who the playoffs teams are going to be. I mean, I guess we kind of touched on this a little bit. Do we think at least in the NL, the we should expect a random team to make the World Series in a way that we just kind of haven't over the past you know four years, three years, or based on what you said of about those teams like not not necessarily being much worse but being unlucky being you know having a couple bad bounces go a certain way managerial issues you know sh- like should it is it just going to be I mean I guess it depends if the Cubs would match up with the Dodgers in the divisional round based on um what the team's records are but should we just expect the Cubs or Dodgers to make the World Series despite <laughs> the more exciting regular season that's sort of what it feels like it's going to happen. And it yeah. feels, you know, but who knows? I mean, once you get in a short series, I mean, I thought the Indians were a mortal lock to to beat the Yankees in that divisional series last year. And then the Yankees uh, came back and won three in a row there and won uh, three in a row in New York against the Astros and managed to find a way to lose the LCS. So, <laughs> I mean, everything, I mean, Ben is, is still, I think, secretly judging me for writing off the Astros when they were down three, two last year. Um, so everything is my favorite thing. Uh, one of my favorite things in baseball is the completely random LCS MVP. I remember it was like Delman young one year when the tiger, I think it was in 2012 when the tigers went to the world series and the, you know, Mike Devereaux for the Braves. Like there's always one guy who has the one hot week at the absolute best time. And I think that's emblematic of the unpredictability of, of playoff baseball, which has become its own cliche. But I mean, I think all five playoff teams in the, or all five presumptive playoff teams in the American league are so good. I don't know that there can be like a random team. Like even if the A's run the table, like it'll be surprising, but I mean, they still might be the best, the better team in the world series, even if the Cubs are, um, the Cubs or the Dodgers come out of the other end of the bracket. Chris Taylor, uh, won last year. Will we look back on that as a, a random winner? Probably. Maybe Marco Scudero in 2012. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> With I David Freese the year before. <laughs> that entire Giants run was just and Cody such Ross horseshit. in 2010. Oh man, <laughs> the Cody Ross game against Halliday in Game One. I'm I I I feel like I've I've professionalized most of my Phillies fandom out of my system at this point. But Cody Ross in the 2020 2010 LCS is. It's making me breathe heavy a little bit. Um, yeah, I guess baseball is unpredictable. Is the uh, the takeaway from this? Uh, I'm I'm glad we uh, took 20 minutes to get there. 
Yeah, you're definitely not my favorite ringer staffer now after bringing up Cody Ross. I'll, you know, go for Mal or Meg Schuster or someone someone else who didn't uh This was so we were so close to having like a very cordial recording for the first time ever. And then I brought up Cody Ross. All right. Well, after I forgive you, we'll talk to you about baseball again and it's vicissitudes and so forth but until then uh you can listen to ryan on ringer fc you can catch his writing on the ringer.com and uh thanks for coming on thanks buddy we'll be right back with ben Lindbergh after these messages whether you're sore from a game of pickup soccer or haven't played sports in years mattress firm has a mattress for everybody and every budget if you're not getting enough great sleep and would like to score big with a mattress upgrade mattress firm's here for you Mattress Firm has more than 3,000 stores nationwide, so there are no roadblocks when it comes to finding a perfect bed at the perfect price. And they'll deliver it to you on the same or next day for free. Talk about delivering in the clutch. They're like if baseball's best closer took the form of a mattress. And you can even sleep on it for 120 nights to make sure it fits like a glove. Mattress Firm has the perfect game plan in place to ensure you get the best mattress for your body and budget. And right now, when you use the code PODCAST10 at mattressfirm.com slash podcast, you can take an additional 10% off already low prices. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast and take 10% off today and start sleeping better tomorrow. This episode of The Ringer MLB Show is also brought to you by Miller Lite. Look, here on The Ringer, we have our disagreements, but there shouldn't be any debate about this. Miller Lite is the great tasting light beer. With only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs, that's fewer calories than half the carbs of Bud Light, so there's really nothing more to talk about. If you have a real argument, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, bold true. So the Philadelphia Phillies made, uh, I don't know if if it's headline news, but they returned from from, uh, from the weekend with a soggy infield, too soggy to play against the, the Washington Nationals, and attempted to dry it out using flamethrowers. And to discuss this and the rest of the NL East race, as that comes down to the wire, is our own personal flamethrower here at the Ringer MLB show, Ben Lindbergh. Ben. Hi. Good to talk to you. Although, judging by our Slack conversations, it seems like you're the expert on flamethrowers in the, in the Ringer office. It, I mean, we did this with the Elon, the Elon Musk flamethrower thing, and I'm making <laughs> asshole quotes right now because, like, these are not flamethrowers. You think of flamethrowers, you think of, of the guy from Saving Private Ryan with the backpack full of yes, gasoline spewing. Yes, 451 right. or something. Like, yeah. this is not that. This is a, a, I have some experience because my in-laws one year uh, at Thanksgiving had me help them clear brush and my wife's uncle bought a flamethrower, which is essentially like a <laughs> a nozzle and a striker that you you hook up to a propane tank and he was walking through the woods just burning the underbrush. Wow. And so this I as far as I could tell, this is like they cost like 40 bucks at Home Depot. And that's essentially what Elon Musk was was selling in in pretty packaging because mm-hmm. everything Elon Musk does uh, is style over substance, intending <laughs> no undue disrespect to Kevin O'Connor. Um, so what were we going to talk about? All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Phillies have an infield that is being described as spongy and like pudding, which uh, sounds like a consistency that might have helped some of the Phillies That's, fielders I was gonna over say, the course of sounds, the season. <laughs> you yeah, want to yeah, slow down some of those Prided balls. You want to talk about the foot speed of the likes of Azdrubal Cabrera and Justin Bohr and Mike Alfranco? Like they are definitely tracked vehicles as opposed <laughs> to, to high speed. Right. So the Phillies enter an interesting situation right now 
um, interesting, perhaps being a euphemism for dire. Mm -hmm. Uh, All but four of their remaining games are against divisional opponents. Uh, Seven of their remaining games are against the Atlanta Braves. They're five games out in the National League East. As of right now, they control their own destiny. And it helps that their four non-divisional games are on the road against Colorado. So if they're still in the wild card chase by by this time uh, a week and a half from now, then they'll have an opportunity to make up their own ground. But the problem for them all year long, and, and particularly recently, is that they've struggled to take advantage of, of uh, head-to-head matchups. They have a losing record against the Braves, for instance. And even playing uh, the Mets as they will uh, next week, most of their gap is that they're four games under five hundred against the Mets. And if they had played the Mets... Uh, accordingly to the respective talent of both teams, this would be a much closer matchup. And, you know, um, the, our friends at Cespedes Family Barbecue were tweeting earlier this morning, isn't this exciting that the Phillies, you know, seven of their last 11 games are against Atlanta? And, like, this could be awesome. This could be the summer of 49 finish, but the Phillies have to stay in the race. And mm-hmm. so what I'm bringing you on to talk about their chances of doing that, as well as some of the weird weather-related issues with the hurricane bearing down on the eastern seaboard that we've already seen in Washington and Philadelphia this weekend and will probably continue to see uh, during the last couple weeks of the season. Yeah, yeah, this race looked a lot more exciting a couple of weeks ago than it did now, and you look at it now, and there are three other races that are actually closer in other divisions or at least have smaller separations between first and second place. The Phillies and the Nationals have both been below 500 teams in the second half of the season, and the Braves haven't been great, but they've been good enough to pull away given that competition. So at this point, the Phillies have been outscored on the season, and the Braves have outscored their opponents by almost 100 runs. So the standings do reflect the underlying abilities of these teams, I think. And so, yes, in a sense, the Phillies control their own destiny and that if they win all of their remaining games against the Braves, they can win this division. But that implies that they could just win at will (laughs) against an opponent that they haven't been able to beat so far this season. And that has proven to be a better team over the long run. So that's going to be tough. And hopefully things will stay close enough that that will at least remain a theoretical possibility in the last 10 days of the season. But right now, mathematically speaking, it is not a strong one. And that head-to-head matchup is particularly troubling because so the the Phillies brought up three extra pitchers today: Drew Anderson, um, Aniel De Los Santos, and Ranger Suarez, bringing them up to thirty-nine active players on their their active roster, which they're going to need all thirty-nine because right now this I mean we talked about in our our bold predictions uh, segment last week that this rotation right now is Aaron Nola and then pray for rain and. Well, I guess yeah, the prayers are, are being now, now's a good good time yeah. to pray for rain. Um, it just looking at the and even Nola might not be that big an advantage in depending on who he goes up against head to head. And Nola's underlying numbers, uh, strikeout and walk ratios are, look a little bit better than uh, Mike Fultonavich. But over the last thirty days, Fultonavich and Julio Tehran have made uh, five starts each. And Fultonavich has a 191 ERA. Tehran has a 248. is the only Philly starter to have an ERA under five mm-hmm. in that span. And Sir Anthony Dominguez, who for a while has been the entire bullpen, also has a five ERA over the past 30 days. So the trick is, and if there's a manager who I think has the capacity to manage 15 relievers, which yeah. I think it's literally 15 relievers, Gabe Kapler can 
it, or is certainly willing to mix and match and, and play every every card he has. Maybe go you know one go Nola for for a normal start, and then the other four spots in the rotation are he might literally use six or seven pitchers for an inning or inning or two each, and he might that might be what he has to do in order to keep keep pace. Because I think you know we talk about must win games, and we're not literally to that point, but I think figuratively, you know, the Phillies need to. They don't need to win win out, but they probably need to be 10 games over 500 for for this stretch. Yeah, so I actually spoke to someone with the Phillies this past weekend who told me that they were considering implementing the opener idea that the Rays have popularized this year, or at least they're having the conversation, which probably a lot of teams are right now. But you could see why the Phillies would be having that conversation specifically since their bullpen is so swollen and the starting rotation has been spotty. I don't think that the opener will really excuse the flaws and the shortcomings there. There's only so much that that can actually help. And the pitching has been a problem. And really, I think over the full season, the pitching has been more of an asset than than a mm-hmm. drawback, really. And I think that the offense has been a problem at times. And the defense has certainly been a problem if you compare to the Braves lineup, for instance. They're just above average hitters all the way up and down that lineup. And the rotation has been pretty strong, which is partly a testament to their player development and just all the prospects that they have brought along and partly a testament to Anibal Sanchez just being good again, which I don't know. That happens. I mean, it's, a, it's the kind of like that's the kind of break that's the difference right. in two similar teams over the course mm-hmm. of the season. And, yes. you know, I think, uh, you know, Ronald Lacuna has been just on fire. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he had that. Uh, that home run streak earlier in the season, but 11 home runs in the past 30 games. He's slugging 7-11. Um, Johan Camargo is a guy who gets lost in the shuffle a little bit because Dansby yeah. Swanson and Ozzy Albies are sort of the the big names on on that infield, but he's been incredible over the past couple weeks. It, you know, and it's the piece, just the pieces fit together better on, on the Braves offense and the Phillies offense just because it's the Phillies are a team with three first basemen and two third basemen. And they just, you know, for some reason, if JP Crawford's on the roster, he ought to be playing shortstop just given how, how bad the rest of that offense is and how, you know, Scott Kingery is probably not an offensive upgrade over, over Crawford at this point in time. And that's like, that's the one thing that I would point to that I really wish Gabe Kapler was doing differently, but at the same time, like over the over the course of three weeks, that's not going to be the difference mm-hmm. when you got five five games to make up. So you sort of do need a hail mary type of of thing, like going to the opener in a couple spots in in the rotation. Like desperate times call, call for desperate measures, and at this mm-hmm. point, it's just a mat. It's it's not a given that they will they that they will be within seven games of the Braves by the time they start that first series right. uh, next week. Yeah, and the pieces don't always have to fit together if the pieces are good enough. Sometimes you can have a, a strangely constructed team that is just talented enough to overcome that. And in the Phillies' case, that just hasn't been true, at least lately. And I think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there's a lot of encouraging developments with the Phillies this year, as well as the Braves. These are both teams that I don't think we really expect 
expected to be talking about duking it out down the stretch in September. This was supposed to be the national season. And both of these teams are sort of ahead of schedule. I think we knew that they were coming along, but they have arrived a little earlier than expected. And obviously it helps if you get the Anibal Sanchez season and you get the Nick Marcakis season. Those things help and not having a ton of serious injuries and not having to devote a lot of playing time to sub-replacement players because you have depth in the upper minors or you just haven't lost those important pieces. All of that really helps. But these are two teams that this is just a a preview, really, of the next half decade, decade of Mm -hmm. NL East action. I mean, this is just the opening salvo, really, in what's probably going to be a a pretty good and long-lasting rivalry. This season's just been so weird for Washington. I struggle to think about where where like how how it went so wrong, even with with so many and even with so many things going wrong, you know, they're a game under five hundred, but they've got a plus seventy run differential, which is essentially the same as the Diamondbacks and the Cardinals. And mm-hmm. this is this is sort of a gift season for both Atlanta and Philadelphia. And you know, I'm at this point, I'm probably more still more plugged in with the Philly zeitgeist than any other team in baseball. And there's a real struggle there to reconcile the preseason expectations versus the expectations of a month or two ago when they were pretty significant favorites in the division, you know, and there's there it's falling under predictable lines. You know, there's the the pro Clentac, pro Kapler faction. There's the anti Clentac, anti Kapler faction that's sort of frustrated that everything has fallen apart um, and is looking, you know, some of some of these are predictable flaws and in some ways the Phillies were playing above their heads to begin with. But, you know, it's it's just hard to reconcile the idea that they were playing over their heads and they are exceeding expectations even to this day. And even even now they're um, I think this this can only be an encouraging step forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, they did yak away a division lead like it's mm-hmm. it's it's sort of sometimes it's it's hard to hold both ideas in your head at the same time that this in many ways has been a successful season and uh, in They've been competitive in a season in which they weren't expected to, but also they did give away an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you look at something like the 2012 Nationals, like even as a, a very talented young team poised to be a contender for the next five or six years, five or six chances, if that even if you get that many, it's not that many chances. And you know, you look back on not to relitigate the Steven Strasburg right. thing, but that's like it's a it's a specific example of you can't count on getting more all these chances. And even if you do win a title like the the Rollins, Utley, Hamels, uh, Howard Phillies did, you could still look back on that and rue your missed opportunities later on. So I wonder if, you know, obviously all this depends on how the next five years go, assuming we all live that long. But it's it's going to be interesting. I, I don't think we're really going to know how to feel about this season from the Phillies perspective until we get closer to the end of this competitive uh, this competitive cycle, because I think it's it's undeniable that this is the start of something good. But mm-hmm. we'll see how much they capitalize on their opportunities later on and see how you know how this in- inspires them to change the team, because they've got they've still got a lot of holes to fill and a lot of payroll flexibility and uh, yeah. a couple big prospects to bring up. So this is not a this is still a work in progress to to some degree and you know they're not completely out of it right now if they go Mm -hmm. you know if they go six and one against the braves uh, in the last week and a half of the season then we'll be taught we'll be having a a completely different conversation later on 
Yeah, and they never shut down Aaron Nola because of innings limits, so you don't have to rue any decisions like that. Mm -hmm. And it's very possible, as you say, there is a lot of payroll room, and they could very well go out and get Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or someone like that this offseason, and that would sort of springboard them. But I know what you mean, that even if you have a sense that you're being gifted a surprise season, at some point, you start getting invested in it. I mean, you can tell yourself that, oh, it's not going to last, and they're playing above their projected pace and this is all gravy but when you invest as much time Mm -hmm. in a season and a team as baseball fans do it's hard to say that to yourself in mid-September and just say well we had a good run and people were picking the Phillies to contend coming into the spring like they were sort of not even a a sleeper pick because I think they were so obvious a pick even to me yeah Like it was clear that they were about to take the next step, whether it was this year or next year. And it looked like it was this year and maybe after all, it's next year. But they gave everyone a a pretty good ride. And maybe Phillies fans could be philosophical about that. I don't know. It's not really what the the fan base is known for necessarily. But if you look back on the season, I think there's been more positives to take away than negative. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if if the Eagles start six and one, then maybe everybody will (laughs) calm down a little bit and be a little more uh, equivocal about this season. Do you Mm -hmm. want to talk about the... Uh, before we wrap up just this weekend i mean we alluded to this earlier with the uh, hurricane florence bearing down on the east coast and obviously just as with harvey in houston last year there are greater non-baseball uh implications but I mean, we've already seen the impact of of weather and just the god-awful weather in the mid-atlantic like mm-hmm. for my money like i have lived in the the heat of the deep south and the freezing cold of the uh, of the upper Midwest and the worst weather in the United States is in that belt between Washington and Philadelphia. Just because of all the different ways it sucks, you get every kind of terrible weather. And right now it's the rainy season mm-hmm. and we're I mean, they're just going to get more that I mean, we saw the the Cubs were just it was such an interesting drama playing out between the Cubs and the Nationals, just between the 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 two teams, you know, differing opinions on whether it's worth it to sit through a rain delay or whether they wanted to play over the weekend. Now they've got a makeup game um, and it's only going to get worse uh, yeah. for the, you know, it, certainly in, in that mid Atlantic area and perhaps in Atlanta too, uh, depending on where the storm goes. So it's just so it's there, there are so many baseball games and there are only so many months where the weather is good, where most Americans live. And mm-hmm. it's just another one of those things that you've got to, you know, build a season around. And I, you know, there was talk about, oh, it'd be great if uh if they shortened the season to 154 games and gave them a little bit more room for makeup games. And obviously that'll never happen because that means losing money at the gate. But it's just a an impossible situation to manage on top of these teams that have to contend with, you know, potential tra- um condensed travel schedules, double headers while they're trying to stick in in very tense playoff races. Right. Yeah. And shortly before we started speaking, I believe the the mayor of Washington, D.C. declared a state of emergency with the hurricane coming. And that is where the Cubs are supposed to make up their game with the Nationals on Thursday. Forecasts not looking great for that game. 
And to some extent, MLB has been a victim of bad weather. It seems like there's been some mismanagement or questionable decision-making going on from time to time, too. Certainly, people are upset about the Friday game between the Cubs and the Nationals, whose start was delayed, and then they started playing, and then there was another long delay, and then they called the game when it seemed like the rain had finally stopped and never started again. So people were questioning the decision-making and and the sequence of events there, but there was just a whole lot of rain. And there's only yeah, so much you th- can do. Exactly. Like, <laughs> so, are, are they going to just put a tarp over the top of Nationals Park? Like that <laughs> might be I, this. If we want to discuss that, I've been a long time proponent of doming <laughs> the United States. But yeah, I mean, there's a. I, there's only so much you could do. It rains. Like mm-hmm. that's it's the the Bull Durham line. You yeah. know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. Right. And obviously the teams that are in playoff races and are poised to enter the playoffs do not want to give up off days at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. Now, on the one hand, you have giant expanded rosters and maybe you don't need to send everyone everywhere or start everyone if you have a comfortable lead, but if you're a team like the Cubs that is in a really interesting race with the Brewers right now, now they don't want to have to do that makeup game and give up an off day they haven't had an off day for a while and there have been studies that have shown that when hitters at least don't get a day off they just progressively get worse there is a fatigue penalty and if your entire lineup is suffering from a fatigue penalty because you haven't had a day off in weeks that's not ideal obviously so no one wants to go into the playoffs that way everyone wants to be rested and as close to full strength as possible and at this point of the season under the best of circumstances everyone is a little bit banged up and a little bit run down and no one wants to have to fly anywhere to play one game under conditions that might not allow baseball to be played anyway. So not ideal for a whole host of non-baseball related reasons, but certainly not ideal for pennant race related reasons either. And even with the expanded bullpens, like that mitigates a lot of the problem of rain delays and and missing off days if the games aren't that close. But, yeah. you know, we saw, I mean, certainly one of those Cubs Nationals games over the weekend got out of hand real bad because the Cubs got into a part of their bullpen that just got completely beat up. And, you know, they mm-hmm. bring in Tyler Chatwood back out and he couldn't throw strikes. And it, there's they've only got the one Steve Ciszek, you know, <laughs> and it's it's a very... I think the the like Joe Madden and, and some of the Cubs players who were complaining about the way the, the rain delay was was mismanaged. I think a lot of that is is misunderstanding of the weather in Washington, for instance, because um, I mean, there was talk about Sean Doolittle trying to explain, like, just waiting for a window isn't going to work. We're just going to uh, end up sitting in the in the clubhouses again. And so you know, I think the Cubs might have looked a little bit silly just because they're not used to to those weather patterns. But I also really do understand the frustration and the the inclination to uh, to complain about it even if on some level you know that there's nothing you can really do about it mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to blame the clouds for shedding moisture so you you have to blame someone or lash out at someone and things are kind of coming full circle here because this is how the season started, right? I don't think that MLB had a regulation game until May 1st this season, as far as I can recall. There was just rain everywhere and a record number mm-hmm. of rainouts in April. And so here we are suffering the same sort of thing at the end of the season, which is not unusual because the baseball season is really long and not all of the months in which it's played are so temperate and sunshiny. So this is kind of an occupational hazard 
hazard of having a season that lasts forever and is almost entirely played outdoors. And a game that's so that's so requires such specific weather conditions. Yes, right. There are elements of rain and cold that you can't play baseball in that you can play football or soccer, for instance. in. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah. Well, we'll monitor the skies and I'll let you go uh, yell at the clouds uh, <laughs> on your own time, Ben. But thanks for, for coming on to talk about the NL East race such as it is. Always a pleasure. That'll just about do it for this week's episode of the Ringer MLB show. Thanks to Ryan O'Hanlon and Ben Lindbergh for joining me today. Thanks to Cole Hamels and Gabe Kapler for giving us stuff to talk about. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing this episode. Um, I know, I, and one last note, I know I talked about uh, with Ben the potential baseball impact of Hurricane Florence, but if you're in the path of the hurricane, please stay safe, stay, uh, stay dry. Uh, if you're not, I can tell you uh, just based on my experience last year with Hurricane Harvey in Houston that local activists and volunteers and charities made a huge difference in the short and medium term uh, in terms of keeping people safe and recovery. So if you have the means, the inclination, I would encourage you to seek out and try to contribute in any way that you can. So with that said, thank you for listening. Uh, Enjoy the week's games and we'll see you next time.